From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Sorry, what? about big titty trees again. Uh, oh, Lord. And welcome back to Scars for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. And we are off to the races. I am Terry. I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our special guest is writer and film critic Rob Dean. You've seen his writing on Daily Grindhouse, Bullseye.com, Tiny Mixtapes, and more. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks, y'all. So glad to be here and talk and about some big titty trees. Big titty trees. And so we're having you on uh, a special episode because this is the anniversary that you gave us our name. Dun, it dun, is. dun. <laughs> and so we thought the old best way to celebrate was to have the man, the myth, the legend himself on the podcast talking uh-huh. about big titty trees. <laughs> it makes sense. It all comes full circle. <laughs> it will. I promise by the end of this, we'll all be on the, on the same page. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but uh, you're kind of the reason we're called what we're called. Nice. I mean, yeah, I try. Uh, but, you know, you guys have made it a great show. To, and it's always interesting to listen to. And it's so funny to see like what 
when people have been exposed to like certain things, just being like, oh, like you watched that at that age? Yeah, that would definitely mess you up. Or you just like some small innocuous thing that stayed with them. So yeah, it's been lovely to listen to it for Aww. this year. Thank you. Well, okay. Rob, how did you get into horror? Yeah. I got into horror probably because or I was always like interested in monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So like, even when I was reading like comic books, I would always like like the weird one, like like, like Nightcrawler and Beast from X-Men. Hell like, yeah. They looked weird and people didn't like them and they were judgmental. And I think there's just kind of a part of, you know, either just feeling like an outsider as a kid or like mm-hmm. my like somehow knowing that like assume you will have mental health issues prepare for it i'm like all right thanks brain get ready yeah so strap in he's like so you might want to you know kind of prepare yourself for things not being great like good to know um so that was always kind of the interest to it and then um i also think there is a soothing or comforting aspect to it Mm -hmm. to horror which is just that you know if you feel like you don't belong in the world you can but you see like you read stories or see movies or tv or whatever where she's like oh no like no one's comfortable in the world like the world isn't what they think it is like the world is possible full of dangers or like or impossible things could happen or who knows what so then you're like all right then we are all kind of on the same page so (laughs) i think there's a sense of comfort to that and you know there's also so much creativity going on so uh, i think there was just elements of that that kind of really seeped in and really made me uh, interested in it yeah so you mentioned comics is that was that kind of your entryway into horror or were you reading comics alongside um getting into it uh reading alongside um mostly because there weren't a ton of horror comics when i was growing up so um like in the 80s like they started like kind of peter out a bunch more Mm -hmm. and like there's still like some here and there and then there was like a big resurgence in the 90s but those were all like just like edgelord like morbius is now wearing leather you gotta deal with it you're like all right (laughs) so um so i like those but yeah it's mostly like you know starting off with like rl stein and christopher pike and Ah, then reading stephen king and clive barker like way too early but also making me understand the world better so yes so i think yeah it was just these things all happening kind of concurrently cool that's cool. Um, and have you always been interested in, in writing? How did you How did you transition into writing about film and writing about horror and um, music? I, I know that you write at Tiny Mixtapes. What do you do there as well? Uh, for Tiny Mixtapes, so, uh, yeah, I've always been interested in writing. Uh, I would always write a bunch of, like, short stories, like, throughout my education. I would always, like, take creative writing classes or, like, anytime there's an opportunity to write something for a class project, I'm like, I'll do that. Nice. Better Same than making here. a diorama because I damn right. will mess that up terribly. Um, so oh, fucking dioramas. <laughs> I'm always like, what? I don't know what this is. It's all about scale. I got nothing for you. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so I've always like been interested in that writing that, that, and that matured, you know, with the years. And then my friend, uh, they wrote for Tiny Mixtapes covering music. And then they had a film section. They asked if I'd be interested. So I started writing there, doing film okay. reviews. And then I started doing like coverage of uh, film festivals. I also used to write a bit for AV Club. And then that's how I met um, people like, like Katie Reif and Mike mm. Vanderbilt. And then they would bring me into other circles to write for like Daily Grindhouse and so on and so forth. So it was always stuff that I was really interested in. Um, and it's just, it's been something I've, grown more interested in writing about um as time has gone on um yeah so i think that's basically it's just mostly just me being like 
I don't know. This is stuff I really like and apparently know way too much about. So I guess I'll write about it and hopefully yeah. not have the worst takes on things. We'll, <laughs> but we'll let the internet decide. Well, <laughs> I'm sure the internet will decide. Exactly. It's the internet. It's, we all it's the arbiter. <laughs> it is. It is the arbiter. Uh, and what do you uh, what do you do at Daily Grindhouse? Do you just cover movies, or do you have like columns or anything? Uh, I mostly do reviews there, but I also okay. um, you know, coordinate on stuff like big questions, or if we ever do like a themed week, I can work with um, editor John Abrams on that stuff. And like last year, we did like Rocktoberfest, which was all yeah. about yeah. <laughs> it was about uh, music and horror films or horror films with music elements to it, and that was fun. Yeah, that was awesome. That was so fun. <laughs> Yeah, so that's um, basically that, yeah. Cool. That's cool. Terry, do you want to talk about what you've been watching recently? Yeah. Well, what have you been watching recently? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have I have um, a couple things to talk about. The first okay. is um, I am continuing my Arrow slasher streak that I sort of started um, okay. an episode or so ago. And I, I tell you what, the thing about Arrow is that their <laughs> slasher films have such great cover art. They um, really, really do. I thought you were talking about the C. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I thought you were talking about the CW. Oh. I, was like, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, when did Arrow become like? I know it was canceled and like I got weird, but I don't think like he became a slasher. Like, all right, <laughs> it sure did. That's a great, great Arrow. About, about, what was his name? Oliver? Is that yeah. is that Oliver the, Queen? Yeah, yeah, Oliver Queen, the uh, the, the slasher. No, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? Phenomenal. No, um, Arrow, uh, the UK <laughs> boutique uh, label right. does a lot of like um, really cool art, and I just linked the the picture in our chat for this particular movie called Edge of the Axe. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you seen it, Rob? Yeah, I watched it like a couple of weeks ago, I think. Oh, oh yeah. I love the cover art. It's Ooh. really cool, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Is that the best thing about the movie? You know, <laughs> um, the, so there's there's a couple things. Uh, I I I love that the movie opens up in a car wash um, mm-hmm. with a woman going through the car wash, and this man emerges. Well, figure, we'll say. A figure emerges um, wearing this very nondescript white mask that looks like maybe it's it's might be like the uh, Halloween mask turned inside out, maybe, or like completely <laughs> okay. like de- like washed out of like form. And he's wearing a rain slicker and he has this axe that he is somehow strong enough to break through the windshield with with one swing oh. and then um, hacks her to bit while the washing is going on oh and then it's sort of like sort of just kind of drags from there maybe (laughs) um but i will say one of the things that really that really confused me was that every single time there's an axe attack there is this musical cue (laughs) that sounds like the opening to the song every little step i take yep Am, am I alone in this? Did, no. Did you... I was like, what okay. the hell is that? I was like, this is, I was like, is it going for irony? I don't get what's happening. <laughs> so like, it would like, it, wow. it, and it was, it was like halfway through the movie. I found myself just sort of like going every little step. Like, Why am I saying <laughs> this? And then I realized that it's, it's the musical cue whenever he takes an ax to someone. It's so bizarre. <laughs> um, I will say that it has one of the better kind of killer reveals, um, mm-hmm. even though it relies on mental illness trope a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Well, not a little bit, a lot. And I really like the final freeze frame. 
But um, okay. most of the movie is a little bit redundant and kind of boring. Okay. Would you say so, Rob? Yeah. Did, did you like it? I thought it, yeah. I think it sets up like really, you're like, all right, things are, who knows what's going to happen? And then it turns out like, oh, what's going to happen is nothing. All right, all right. <laughs> so then, but then at the end, like it picks up like so much. You're like, okay. And so like it, the like the very opening and the very ending are like pretty well done. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, in between, you're just like, all right, just what's the what, what's the plan here? What are we doing? And I love that in the middle, it sort of relies on like this computer program that people <laughs> are like chatting back and forth through, which I thought was probably a lot of people thought it was really novel at the time. But it's basically like an instant messenger between these two characters that they just sort of like chat and mm-hmm. we because we can't read, they have to voice it over it. You know, and like say exactly what is on the screen. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was a movie. Um, <laughs> okay. I love the cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. I, and, you know, I feel like I, I, I say that as I feel like I'm I'm doing like the sort of like Liz Lemon, 30 Rock, like. <laughs> great you lighting. Know, yeah, great lighting. <laughs> well, the trees were really nice. <laughs> like, I feel like that's what I'm doing with this. But like, I mean, I'm glad I watched it. But yeah, it's. It was it was an experience. The other movie that I saw that was also an experience that I think is going to probably be divisive for some people is The Pool. Oh, my God. Yes. Is that the, is that the alligator movie? The alligator movie. Yes. Have you seen in, in The Pool? Not yet. I've pool? heard of it. I have the screener sitting in my inbox. Have you seen it, Rob? I did. I saw it uh, at Fantastic Fest, I think, last year. Oh, wow. Year. How was that in the theater? It went over really well. Everyone was super dubious. Going into it wasn't supposed to sound yeah. like super tubey, but they were, everyone was like very like they were like what's uh, what's going? On? He's just the pool, and like the setup sounds like this <laughs> you're is like, weird. What, how the fuck is he trapped in a pool? <laughs> yeah, you're, like, all this stuff, and then there's just certain elements to it that are unintentionally very entertaining, and there's also yeah. parts that are very like well done. Like yeah, I think actually the actor like does a pretty good job committing to the situation. You're like, all right. Oh, he elevates <laughs> what could be a very silly, silly, silly yeah. movie to being something very watchable. And it doesn't help mm-hmm. for me that he's very attractive. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But uh, so, yeah, it's basically just this guy is trapped in this 20 foot pool, 20 foot deep pool. And he has a dog that's uh, chained to like the fence that's his dog that's like outside of the pool. He has his girlfriend who threw a really kind of unintentionally humorous fall ends up cracking her head open and she's like in the pool with him and she's also pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then there's also <laughs> this crocodile. Okay. And <laughs> cool. There's a lot of, it, it somehow manages to keep being inventive and there's like complication after complication. So it's never very, it's never not entertaining to watch, even though some of the stuff that happens in it's really ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And there's one moment at the end that I'm not going to... It's one of those things where it's like, when do you spoil something when it's a content warning? Because yeah. some people are going to be really, really, really turned off by something that happens later on. Oh, I can... Okay. I'm just going to say I laughed. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's so audacious and so unexpected that like I found myself laughing at it but I also have a very dark darkly comedic bent and this particular thing doesn't really bother me in movies like it does a lot of people sorry mm-hmm. to say but yeah it's um it's on shutter right now it's streaming and did you like it Rob again I thought it was yeah entertaining like you said like yeah. it just kept like just being something different like each scene would be like apparently we're dealing with this now like what okay and then again there's parts of it that are unintentionally very entertaining like mm-hmm. 
again, like certain like the ridiculous elements, um, the crocodile. Let's call it CGI. Oh, it's bad. Uh, yeah, the visual effects on the crocodile are terrible, and that's kind of great though. Because you're just like, yeah, there's this weird image of like, because he plays it like very sincerely, and he's very much like, we got to figure this out. And then you have like this weird like clip art crocodile, and you're like, I don't. <laughs> it's like this nice like juxtaposition. You're like, okay, all right, yeah. And so it, it, it's very entertaining. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, and I mean, where else are you going to find a guy that ends up like wearing like what's left of his like muscle shirt and that he wraps <laughs> around his hands along a barbed wire to go punch a crocodile? Yeah. I mean, this movie's ridiculous, but it's it's ridiculous in the best way. I mm-hmm. I really like it. Cool. But yeah, other than that and playing a lot of Paper Mario, the Origami King. Hell yeah. On Nintendo Switch. Uh, that's that's pretty much all I've been up to. What about you, Mary Beth? So I have been like, I've had a rough couple of weeks so mm. i have not been watching a lot of movies and it's more just been watching a lot of trash 90 day fiance to like mm-hmm. turn off my brain what what is that show is it really about people that are like <laughs> all right let me explain it. all right let me break it down um, <laughs> please do i hate how much i love this show it's terrible let's so just like to be perfectly honest this show is absolutely terrible and everyone on it has like a lot of problems everyone is very racist and also very manipulative and emotionally abusive oh. um yeah it's bad but 90 day fiance is a TLC show where a person in America is engaged to a person who does not live in oh, America. That's right. And it's all about the per like they're the non-American person coming to the US and needing to get married to the American citizen in 90 days to get the K1 visa. Or like they are on a K1 visa which is 90 days long and they have to get married before the end of it or they have to go back to their home country. Is this- that's supposed to be like illegal well yes if you're not like in love i guess but the whole like a lot of the point a lot of this show is trying to figure out like do they actually like each other or are they just pretending oh. for the green card all of the people from america think the person loves them obviously like it's usually <laughs> just like who is trying to pull one over gotcha so it's pretty drama but it's <laughs> there's also like a huge franchise behind it now there's like before the 90 days which is before they get engaged <laughs> But 90 Day Fiance the other way, where the Americans go to the to the foreign country, then whatever. It's wild. It's just like trash television that it's just like perfect for turning my brain off after a long oh, yeah. day. Um, but the one thing I've been doing that's not trash, I've been reading this really good book called The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Um, mm, it yeah. just came out like last week. He's written... He's um, Native American. He's written some really good, like, he's Mapping the Interior was a, a novella of his I read that I really love. And he writes about, like, the Native, like, being a Native American on reservations and, like, kind of the horrors of living on reservations. But also a lot of his stories are steeped in Native American folklore, um, specifically his tribe, which I need to look up. But it's real. This one is really good. It's like it's got. It kind of reminds me of like the format. Reminds me of it a little bit in terms of okay. like it flashes back to like when they were something that happened when this group of four boys were kids, and how it's coming back to haunt them now as adults. Um, huh. I will not spoil what is haunting them though, because it's very. It's like. It's something that you want to just read. I don't want to <laughs> spoil the experience, but it's an. It's am I'm about halfway through it and it is beautifully written i love his writing style it's very like kind of stream of consciousness and you mm. you really get into the heads of his characters and 
the first part of the book was like, oh, yeah, I know exactly how this is going to go. It <laughs> didn't go at all the way I thought it was going to oh, go. that's good. He set it up really yeah. well to be like, oh, yeah, you think you know what's going to happen. And then it did not happen at all. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really enjoyable. It's really creepy. His writing style is just like haunting. And I really recommend it. It just came out. Um, It is like last week, it looks like. Yeah. So and it's like a book that's been getting me to finally like read fiction again. So oh, cool. Yeah, I have. It's like you know, I've been for some reason just like feeling lazy when it comes to reading, but this is getting me to like really read a f- like fiction book for fun, and I really enjoy it. So please, everyone, read it. And also, it's like yeah. Native American representation in horror literature, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And he's specifically Blackfeet. Um, that's his tribe. So a lot of it's deep in that folklore and reser- and those reservation like that reservation experience for him. But it's really that's cool. Awesome. It's really awesome. I'm trying to get back into reading too. I might have to pick up this one. Um, I was talking with, with Joe Lipset, uh, earlier and cause like I'm reading this book for Stephen King podcast and I'm going to be guting on. And it's like, mm-hmm. I realized how much I miss reading. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird, weird thing. No, but it's true. Cause I read a lot of for like research for writing, mm-hmm. but I don't ever like, I don't feel like I don't read as much for fun. Right. So it's been nice to read for fun and like really enjoy a novel just because I can. Always hard. I find that, yeah. I also same similar experience where it's been really hard recently for me like, to even like concentrate. I'm just like, uh. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's impossible, but it's been awesome that this book has got me to concentrate. And I actually, I creep on the subreddit R Horror Lit, where I get, I mean, Reddit <laughs> can obviously be a scourge of humanity, mm-hmm. but it's a really good subreddit that has like really good suggestions for horror books, especially by like lesser known writers. There's obviously a lot of the classics in there, but I found this one and his novella mapping the interior through that subreddit. So if you're looking for horror stuff to read and you don't know where to look, I would go there. They've got some really good suggestions and everyone asks like super specific genre questions. Like (laughs) I want a like period monster piece with ghosts in it. And everyone's like, Oh cool. I've got five books that are like that. (laughs) And it's like, Oh hell yeah. It's just really cool. Like it sounds so specific, but there are lots of books that I've never even heard of. So if you're looking for nice. horror fiction, well, I, I recommend there. Added it to my. I just bought it for my Kindle. So yay! <laughs> yeah, let me know what you think. It's so good. Awesome, um, Rob. What have you been watching, enjoying recently? Um, recently, I've been watching. I just finished the first season of Doom Patrol. Okay. Oh, okay, I have not watched that. Is it on HBO Max? It is on HBO Max. Okay. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was really, really just well done and very interesting characters. Um, there is stuff taken from like the very early comics and then also mostly Grant Morrison's run in the mm, 90s. Okay. Yeah, so um, I'm not really familiar mm-hmm. with, with, with the Doom Patrol, uh, the comic. It, it was it was a comic series, then I take it? Mm-hmm. for Okay. So basically it was the inspiration for the X-Men, which – Everyone no. kind of agrees on because they basically are these misfits in different ways mm-hmm. that society doesn't really know what to do with. And they're led by a very smart uh, and wealthy person in a wheelchair uh, who will help uh. them fight uh, the <laughs> misunderstandings <laughs> of the world. Um, so that happened. That it doesn't like, sound <laughs> anything like X-Men, Rob. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, yeah, but could someone shoot lasers out their eyes? Like, yeah, that's what it's missing. We got it. Uh, Where's so yeah. Wolverine? <laughs> and we'll give it some time. So that was like two years. I think it started two years or so before X-Men came on, came out. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but then it came back in the 90s. And so it was always around, but it was always 
Uh, it was eclipsed by X-Men mm-hmm. and it was always kind of estranged from the other DC properties in different ways. Okay. Um, and then in the 90s, kind of like in that weird time when Vertigo wasn't really an imprint, which was like the more artsy type, like Sandman and stuff. Like yep. they weren't quite sure. <laughs> you were kind of like had like uh, feet in both uh, places of being like, no, it's like superheroes, but also weird. <laughs> um, so for that, they um, Grant Morrison wrote for them and he did a lot of interesting changes. There's a lot of stuff he kind of did in The Invisibles, but he just brought it into a more mainstream comic form. Um, and it was just awesome. And it has one of the best, it has an amazing song or karaoke scene when they go, I'm trying to spoil anything, but they, there's a character from the comic books called Danny the Street, who's a sentient street that moves around the world, goes where oh. it wants. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they're uh, genderqueer, and like they basically they find people that also feel like oddballs or misfits, and they come and they live on the street, and it's like a symbiotic relationship. And so in order to help uh, the street, uh, someone has to perform a song, and it's incredibly well done. You're like, oh, this is shockingly moving. Well done. So, and yeah, and uh, uh, Matt Bomer and um, Brendan Fraser are great in it, and Diane Guerrero, and and uh, Alan Tudyk is pretty good in it. So oh, there's a lot yeah. of stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, it was just well done. It's, uh, it's There's not like a lot of like actual superhero action or anything. It's just more about these each of them having serious issues and trying to figure out like while facing like oddball and weird quote unquote villains who are usually just like, Oh no, we're not really interested in them. And then you just like part ways like, okay. You actually kind of made me more interested in it. Cause I, a lot of people have been talking about it recently, particularly um, uh, some people have reached out were like, you know, it, it makes me sad that uh, gosh, what on the umbrella, uh, what is it? The Umbrella Academy, Academy. Yeah. is getting all this attention when Doom Patrol's over here being like amazing. And I, people keep talking about it, but like, I don't know. I've just, I've not pulled the trigger, but after listening to this, the street part of it and the karaoke, I might have to go give this one a go. There's some, I was at like the first episode. I was like, okay. Or I was intrigued, but wasn't really sold on it. There's also, it has that weird, um, element that a lot of DC properties do where they're like kind of it's like cyborg is in it from justice league, but not that cyborg for not the one, you know, from the movies, the different oh, one or yeah. whatever. And so like, there's always these weird like continuity stuff, but basically it quickly moves aside and it does a lot of fun, weird stuff with the form. Like the villain is the narrator, but he knows oh. that he's the narrator. Like he's uh, oh. con- like that. His power is basically breaking the fourth wall and inventing the fourth wall. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to go watch this. So you just you <laughs> sold it in ways other people have it. Cause I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm not a huge uh, superhero fan. Like yeah. they're fine, but like, no, I totally uh, get so, it. Yeah. And <laughs> so, I, I, I tried watching the, what was it? Teen, Teen Titans is the other mm-hmm. DC universe one. And I just, I could not get into that one. No. So I just never gave this one a shot. But. Yeah. I thought that they were going to be very similar because I tried watching Titans, and I think that they introduced Doom Patrol in that show. Oh, Titans. And then uh, Titans right. was just, like, way too, like, this ain't your daddy's superheroes. <laughs> they curse and also punch. You're like, all right, right. I don't – what's <laughs> why is this happening? Um, so, but Doom Patrol is just much more – it has, like, a feel that's similar to Legion okay. um, in terms of dealing with complex mental uh, issues and also having, like, very uh, – clever uh visuals and story directions okay. as well so uh, i am going to be giving that a, a shot this weekend <laughs> yeah and uh, 
The only other thing I would say I watched and will soon have a review out for is You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Oh. Um, it, I think it might be one of the best films of the year so far. <laughs> oh. Really? <laughs> Shockingly, yeah. It's really – it's either a brilliant, sincere documentary like about – you know, that shows a lot about someone's life or it's partly that but also essentially like a work that like – a clever bit of manipulation which works alongside pro wrestling you know the idea of hmm. these scripted elements so mm-hmm. i think it's either way like if if it's one or the other or you know some sort of combination of both like it just ends up working so well and is really moving and very interesting and um yeah i can't recommend it enough i think it's it's very um yeah, it was very surprising and you end up learning a lot more about it and it's also weird because they keep talking about like everyone just knows him from the guy from scream and this was like i was watching like didn't he just get signed up for scream five all right <laughs> uh, so he seems like he's like yeah they now all of a sudden he became the goofy guy from scream i was like oh now i feel don't know how to feel about scream five i feel like maybe he shouldn't have done that david arquette but i hope it works out yeah and that's coming is that coming out soon uh yeah it's supposed to be coming out sometime in august there's no date set um neon's putting it out at some point um okay. uh virtually but i'm not exactly sure they don't have the exact date yet so we're like all right so <laughs> all watch right. for it <laughs> <laughs> cool we've talked about what we have been watching but rob what movie are we talking about today the last unicorn yes! <laughs> i'm obsessed with this fucking movie okay <laughs> For those of you who are unfamiliar with The Last Unicorn, after a butterfly tells her that she's not the last of her kind, a unicorn, voiced by Mia Farrow, and a magician named Schmendrick, voiced by Alan Arkin, go on a journey to find the rest of her kin. Along the way, they fight up harpies, meet the fact behind the Robin Hood fiction, hug a bubacious tree, and ultimately fight an <laughs> evil king, play, voiced by Sir Christopher Lee, who is obsessed with attempting to capture the world's unicorns. Yes! <laughs> yeah. Rob, tell me everything about your experience with this movie. How old were you when you first saw it, and what scared the shit out of you about this movie? So when I first saw it was, and I had to actually talk to my parents about this recently because I was like, I know, what was the place? So um, there was a store, I grew up in Massachusetts, and there was a store in Northboro, Massachusetts for kids' clothes. And in the middle of that store was just a room where they'd have like a TV and VCR and some beanbag chairs, and you'd sit and watch whatever was on. Um, And so I just remember like seeing it and... It, that was playing at the time. Okay. And I wasn't quite sure. It's like, what? I don't, I missed the beginning. I feel like there's a lot to catch up. And, um, but then the thing that really stuck with me and kind of like haunted me was the skull or skeleton scene with uh, Rene Abajamois. Yes. <laughs> and uh, basically, he just plays a cursed skeleton that has to guard a gateway. And it just like stuck in my brain. And it wasn't that, you know, again, I liked monsters i like weird so like even as a young kid like i think i was probably around four when i saw it okay and but even like whenever i saw movies that had monsters or anything i always enjoyed it so it was like dark crystal or labyrinth or whatever i liked them all okay but i realized the thing that stuck with me is the fact that he's like just weirdly like giddy and laughing and pleading and there's just such a weird mix of emotions and i also remember like the other thing that like kind of stuck with me at that time another scene in another movie was in dark crystal when um chamberlain is like begging to be friends with the oh, girlfriends yeah. it's like friends 
friends? <laughs> and you're just like, oh. And like, there's just something about like that shrill desperation and like madness that kind of just like it's just, just just stuck with me. And it wasn't, I couldn't figure out like what it was. And then yeah, and then that, and also the giant uh, fireball that uh, represents desolation as it chases down these unicorns. Yeah, both pretty fucked up. So okay. <laughs> This movie is everything to me. <clears throat> I watched this movie every day for a year as a young Holy child. Shit. I told you. <laughs> this movie runs deep. My family could all sing the last unicorn song by America because of me. Wow. And I absolutely adored it. I watched it all the time. And so <laughs> I was so excited that you brought this up. I was like, I've always... <laughs> Wanted to talk about The Last Unicorn in a quasi-professional setting, and now I can, and I feel like an adult. I feel very <laughs> hashtag blessed to be able to talk about this movie. <laughs> what I did not realize was Jeff Bridges is the, vo- is the voice <laughs> of one of the, like, this prince. Mia Farrow is the unicorn. Alan Arkin is the wizard. <laughs> Christopher Lee is... The, it's this, the cast is it's stacked. fucking stacked. Like a tree. And, <laughs> and like Angela Lansbury. Angela mm-hmm. Lansbury. Oh yeah, because she's that mummy for tuna. Is she the? Yeah, yeah. she's that. Mm-hmm. But I think the things that scarred me the most when I watched that movie were the harpy with the pendulous breasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we gonna? Are, can, can yeah. We, <laughs> she yeah. has three. Three. Yeah, breasts. that's right. Three pendulous breasts. Three Just of them. Hanging in out in a G-rated kids movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. Uh-huh. I just like yeah. The last <laughs> unicorn walked, so Total Recall could run. I it's respect it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh That's God. what I thought of. I was like, oh, man, a shirt. this is like um, <laughs> beating uh, Total Recall for, <laughs> and that was our. I cannot believe that there are three kind of saggy breasts and on a harpy in this children's cartoon. I just, uh-huh. I, I couldn't believe it. As the adult me was like, wait. <laughs> I know because I watch this through HBO, and the first thing that they do is put this big giant G on the screen, and I'm sitting mm-hmm. here going, "Wow, good on you for getting this in here." <laughs> I also like the idea that saggy is what you have a problem. Like, yeah, if they were firm, sure, yeah. G rated. <laughs> no. I, I just, I was like, I, I was, I was enamored with with the the design of them. With it her just, titties, was she, you, yeah. you were enamored with her titties? Is that what you're I saying? I was. Maybe <laughs> it's because I wasn't allowed to see them as a kid. No I don't know. For but Terry. No titties for Terry. Hashtag. Hashtag. Well, it's also on a bird creature where you're like, well, that how's that? And I understand it's a heartbeat and all this. But I'm also like, how does the biology and all this work? Eh. It's fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> that will be the answer to so many things. That will be the answer to every single question we have. Um, so so did, did that did the harpy scare you as a kid? So the harpy freaks me out, especially mm-hmm. like yeah. the death of Mummy Fortuna. And how obsessed with like fame she is. Yeah. That she's like, she tells the harpy, uh, if you kill me, you're still mine. She's so obsessed with it that like, she's like being told that her, your death sits in that cage. And her response is, oh, she'll kill me one day. But sure, I remember forever that I caught her. I held yeah. her my prisoner. That's my immortality. And I'm just like, oh, this is like instagram famous now like See, people are so like this is why i absolutely love this movie because it is a kids movie but it is so fucking deranged and it spits in the face of all of the tropes of kids movies being like all magical and sweet and i feel this way about i was texting terry about this part the part where um 
the unicorn and Prince Lear are like falling in love with each other and it's like super mm-hmm. cheesy and it looks like something out of Sleeping Beauty. But it's like so upsetting because she's forgetting that she's a unicorn and she's like, oh, I'm a woman now. And this is what a woman has to do. A woman mm-hmm. has to fall in love. And he's like all excited and happy about it. But her so- version of the song is so upsetting. And it just like spits in the face of these princess movies that are like, oh, you've always wanted to be a princess. But she's completely losing sight of what she is as she becomes a human woman and be- becomes very weak and subservient. And I just think it is so fascinating, especially watching that now because – yeah. In no fucking way I was getting that when I was four, when I was watching this movie. <laughs> no way. But now I'm watching it, and I'm like, it's just such a perfect antithesis to, like, the Disney princess movie, and I love that. But the other, the one thing that really scared me that I forgot about until today was when she changes, when um, Spendrick, saying all these names is so funny out loud, like, it just, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I, you know how many like, times I mean, I've like, had I'm to, like, like being, look up his name? I know, like, being very sincere saying his name, too. Um you are. I'm, I'm feeling it. You're feeling the passion. <laughs> I just want to call him Schmegma, but like... God damn it! <laughs> but Schmed- oh, so Schmedrick turns her into, I'm ignoring you, into a human. Love you. And so this is awful line where she goes, I feel this body dying around me. Yeah. And that is just yeah. like so... And I, I don't think I really understood what that meant when I was a kid, but like the sorrow in her voice when she says it, like... Oh my god! <laughs> well, that that whole scene in particular just comes across as like it, it's very, it's very much like it, it's very traumatic and it's very much like an assault. Like he's yeah. basically like assaulting yeah. her. The way the whole like, you know, he he does it to her against against her wishes. Like he just he just does it, and then Molly Molly grew is like shouting, "What have you done?" And she's like crying and saying what have you done what have you done you're an idiot and he's so excited that he like did this spell while this woman is basically laying there now naked and it's it's very it the way it's filmed it feels like he just assaulted her yeah it's like her character is so deeply upsetting to me (laughs) yeah in more ways than one. Like, I don't think I ever realized how tragic her character was. I thought she was pretty mm-hmm. when I was little. So I was like, I want to look like her with long blonde hair and look, look like <laughs> a little fairy creature. But then yeah. I watched it, so watching it today, I was like, oh, my God, her character is so awful and sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, even it's taking that kind of assault thing even further. I mean, he basically strips her of her entire being in this moment. Yeah. As yeah. She, she begins to forget who she is. She's like, mm-hmm. where am I? Who am I? I don't remember. I'm just a woman now. I'm like, this is horrible. And all the markers of her identity start disappearing. Yeah. And there's that also, there's an aspect to it, which is, I mean, obviously Little Mermaid would be years later, but it, mm. like in Little Mermaid, uh, Ursula does a similar thing, right? But she's doing it for her own evil purposes. And then Ariel right. just goes along with it. Cause she's like, yeah, this is what I like being a mute servant. This works out for me, apparently. <laughs> um, but in this one, it's someone who's thinking they're helping. It's, you know, Schmendrick thinks he's helping. Um, and then it's also like she's aware that this isn't right. And, but she's also like, she's like, it's nice, but there's something wrong. I know that there's something fundamentally wrong with what's going on here that I'm trying to be. And that, and I think that's, yeah, there's a weird element to it that probably definitely never hit me as a kid. But there was always like this certain sadness to the whole thing and especially just kind of works in and weaves throughout that story is there's a real always sense of kind of something's off and something isn't right anymore. And I think that kind of goes to the idea of, you know, magic no longer really being in the world as much. 
there's less unicorns, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that does uh, all add up into it, the sense of like, this is kind of like the last, last of the good times. And this is why things went bad. Rip. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rip, rip indeed. <laughs> um, so I had never seen this as a kid, at least mm-hmm. I don't, <laughs> I don't believe that I have, although okay. it was so weird watching it because there were like these very specific moments of deja vu, but they mm-hmm. weren't about anything in particular. It was just, I remember seeing, uh, Schmendrick. <laughs> At one point, like he looked familiar to me and then Prince Lear looked familiar to me, but like, mm-hmm. I have no recollection of seeing this movie ever. And so I don't know if it was like, trailers you know like this they they like to put in especially in the 80s put a bunch of like kids trailers in front of different movies and whatnot that you were forced to watch through on vhs mm-hmm. <laughs> each time you watch the movie um yeah so i don't i don't know if if it's if that's where i got it from just like these little bits and, and clips throughout the entire movie but um i don't believe that i've ever seen this and man <laughs> I, I'm sorry to say, You're I thought about this movie to break was, my heart. I know. I thought this movie was incredibly slow, but Fine. I think that I think the reason why is that like I'm not. I I remember cartoons like this. Like it was another one by by Arthur Rankin, the the director. But like The Hobbit, where it was like mm-hmm. a lot of yes. a lot of music. <laughs> Yeah. And but it wasn't it's like the difference between like a musical and like a music video because right. like there's no no one bright bursts out into a song really in this. It's always just like someone singing over montages of of things that happen and like them traveling or like a montage of events and whatnot that it feels like a music video to me and I just it it doesn't really resonate with me. But I I did watch this movie twice because I'm sorry, Mary Beth. The it's first time okay. I think I, I think I fell asleep. I'm not sure. Fine. I know I, I I know I stopped paying attention at some point and I might have <laughs> fallen asleep. I'm not really sure. So I watched it again today and I skipped through the music parts. <laughs> and I enjoyed How it a a little bit dare more. you. <laughs> I know. There so Jimmy Webb worked his ass off on those on that music. He did, and he would put me to sleep. It's America. <laughs> it is America. <laughs> I say that like I actually listen to America. <laughs> well, I wanted to bring up the fact that Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass, I think they were a directing team that did mm-hmm. this movie. They also did The Hobbit. They did The Return mm-hmm. of the King. And they also did a bunch of the How- the Christmas movies I really liked, like The mm-hmm. Year of oh, Bada Santa Claus. <laughs> oh. Hated those. <laughs> well, um, I fucking love them. <laughs> So get spicy, but um, I really like that style of animation, and it, it's yeah. actually so funny that I'm like this. I'm just remembering this because I remember watching the Return of the King, and they only did Return of the King. They didn't do Fellowship or Two Towers. They only did this. But so I was reading Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and we borrowed the Return of the King from the library, and I hadn't read it yet, and the the movie hadn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. And so I watched Return of the King and I was like, there's no way that Frodo loses his finger. What's happening? And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm spoiled. <laughs> like why? when I saw it, when I read the book and watched the movie and the watch the Peter Jackson movie, I was like, oh, my God, that movie was right. Like, I don't know why I didn't believe that the animated movie was like the right movie. It was very strange. But I was like, this can't be correct. This can't be it. <laughs> But I loved the Hobbit movie because I, the Hobbit is one of my all-time favorite books, and mm-hmm. like it was my favorite book as a kid, and so I love that movie. And I think like the animation style really has like a very 
soft spot in my heart because it's like it's beautiful but also grotesque if that makes Mm. sense like it's very creepy in a way like the like the way people are drawn are very strange yeah the thing you know the thing about the last unicorn i i i I definitely see that with the art style but i think what kind of confused me watching this movie now as an adult is that Everything has this sort of like, yes, the Hobbit vibe to it, kind mm-hmm. of like art style. But then there's this like anime unicorn in it. Yeah, like absolutely. she looks like she's she's like pulled directly out of like. Um, and again, I know that this is partially uh, animated by a Tokyo studio that would eventually yeah. go bankrupt and become Studio Ghibli. Ghibli, 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 Ghibli. Well, that's how um, I say it at least. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the pronoun- the correct pronunciation, but like it, she, it, it just, it seems, and I, I get that's probably also the intent is that she looks otherworldly compared to everything else, but it just like was really like sticking out to me for some reason mm. as like this anime looking character in an otherwise kind of quasi like Hobbit fantastical. I, yeah, I really don't, I don't know how to what I'm exactly how to say no it. i know what no. you mean though because yeah. she, she definitely especially like uh, the whole movie is very earth-toned as well and she mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. very bright and like stark and blonde and like purples and lavenders so I, I know what you mean like she feels like a magical girl she looks like a sailor moon-esque character that mm-hmm. like kind of sticks out but i think i always love that about her i don't think that ever bothered me i think that made me love the movie more if that makes sense because i think i liked having that kind of stark contrast I also loved unicorns, so, like, mm. <laughs> take that with a grain of salt, but. <laughs> so, but there, this, that said, there are some things in here that I definitely wanted to, to touch on, because mm-hmm. this movie is, is fucking weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it we is. Kinda t- <laughs> we kind of talked about it a little bit with, with, with the harpy, but, like, I, we got to talk about the tree. Oh, yeah, the city tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys just say that. No, no, like, we're yeah. like, no, your move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, move. You, want, you brought it up. Come on, titty tree. Again, going with this this whole she rated thing. Yeah. There's this tree that, you know, the weird thing about this tree. Yes, <laughs> it's got it big has, titties. It has big breasts. It yeah. it is very boobacious. Mm-hmm. But it also like in certain shots look like a cock and balls. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like. There's a perspective of when when Schmedrick is like being caressed by the, the just big like boobs shoving and his like, like him in between her breasts and just rubbing him and saying that a tree's love is the only eternal love. Yeah. <laughs> but then they'll have a faraway shot and you're like, that's yeah, that's not what he thinks it is. Okay. I I love that we're just nonchalantly discussing this moment that is like it has plagued me since childhood. It's traumatizing me as an adult. And it doesn't, is never, it's not built up to anything and it never comes up again. Like, it's just basically like, oh, by the way, uh, you got molested by a tree that can, uh, is intersex apparently. So, yeah. The, well, and, and that's the thing is that like the mouth looked vaguely like a, a vagina. Like uh-huh. it was definitely like, you know, vertical as opposed to like a normal mm-hmm. mouth. And so there's that. There's the fact that the breast, depending on how you're looking at it, could have been like balls in the, the tree is a shaft like it's just it's a very weird moment and he and she's yelling at Almothea, calling her a hussy mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> just this movie I, rules 
It's so <laughs> ridiculous. It takes that shit that you see in Disney movies with like enchanted funny trees and happy trees and makes them sexual and weird. And that's why I love it. Like, I know that's so strange, but I just, this didn't dawn on me until watching it this time is it really does flip the Disney movie formula on its head. And I just love that so much about it. That being said, I don't understand how it's for children. Like, a right. lot of these yeah. themes are so upsetting. Like, I think another really upsetting part is when Molly, like, runs up to yes. the unicorn and goes, like, where were you when I was innocent, when I was young, when I was new? And I was like, that is fucking upsetting. Like, everyone is so yeah. traumatized in this movie. Everyone is just so sad and looking. And it's also kind of sad because they're looking to these unicorns as hopeful. But, like, we don't mm-hmm. really see what unicorns do for you besides being right. pretty. Like, they keep the forest nice and safe and sparkly yeah but like <laughs> and then she also like pieces out she's like i'll be back eventually and all the animals are like uh don't go they will kill <laughs> us like, when you leave she's like bitch are you serious <laughs> there's, you literally a bear. Me? <laughs> there's a shell of a bear that's just like uh, uh no that's so sad can do we I talk get, about this <laughs> do i get an opinion like <laughs> yeah. like well especially when like you know she's first introduced with two hunters that are walking through the woods looking for something to kill and they're like ah yeah. oh, well we can't kill anything because this unicorn is here and it's like is she gonna have a place to go back to when yeah. she's done with this adventure and just comes back and just like have like like a eye patch like bear, and she's like uh <laughs> hope you had fun hasn't been great here hi welcome back where the fuck have you been <laughs> yeah and she's like listen i've been in my own trauma don't worry about it we've all had bad times that's the thing this whole like it's just so devastating the whole thing is so devastating and i'm like how in the hell as a child did i not like feel this like sense of lo- like maybe that's why i liked yeah. it maybe i was a weird kid and like that kind of stuff but it's like everyone is so sad and there's not really a happy ending i mean kind of but no it's sort of sad. She's like, now I am the only unicorn that feels regret. I was like, Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> what the hell? Thanks like, for teaching me regret. I know. She's like, I have now learned to regret. I'm like, good God. Okay. I'll be um, the only one. So I have no one to talk to about it because no one else understands it. I will be the only one of my kind yeah. that understands regret and I'll have no one to be able to talk to about it. It's like, That's so, horrible. And like, right? yeah. My solitude is compounded. Like I thought I was alone before. It took me being surrounded by people to learn I was no, I'm so much more alone now than I ever will be. And you're like, <laughs> Basically. Oh. Yeah, and I think I agree. I think there's something that I don't think it's for kid I don't think it's really for kids. But I think kids gravitate towards, or at least, you know, when I watched it a bunch as a kid, I think because you kind of don't really know what's going on, but you're like uh, like you you can't obviously grasp like the levels or anything or what's happening, but you just have a sense like there's something I should know that's happening here. And you're like, that's weird or that's odd or that's, oh, okay, magic stuff. But there's something, something's not right. And I can't quite tell it. And so you kind of keep watching it to the, be like, I will figure out what is not right. Even though like your mind can't handle concepts yeah. like a world in ruin. So you're like, I don't, uh, I don't really get this. And so you have, you know, a failed magician. You have, you know, this uh haunted alcoholic skeleton you have like a bitter christopher lee coded by the way he that skeleton i love him Mm -hmm. but he is he's definitely a very queer coded character in this movie he's he the kind of like slosh like his his he has the limp wrist Mm -hmm. he's like Mm -hmm. the way he talks he i I was like i love you i just want (laughs) to he is a great part of the movie i did get he does scare the shit out of me when his eyes turn red though yeah, and he starts screaming um, for the king. He's like, Hagrid! Unicorn! Unicorn! 
was like, way to go, Odo from Deep Space Nine. Way to bring it. <laughs> that is right. That is a that is that is that actor, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, you know. So uh, the other thing that I noticed watching this is how much this movie is about men wanting to control women. Mm-hmm. Eat. From like the very beginning when she's on her adventure and the first person mm-hmm. she meets is this creepy old man that is approaching her with his belt like outstretched like a noose. Mm-hmm. It's it's so fucking disturbing. Yes. And then again, you have Schmedrick that turns her into human against her will and strips of her of her, of her entire being. You have Haggard who knows that she's a unicorn and wants to possess her. You have Prince Lear who thinks he deserves his attention just because of who he is Mm -hmm. and goes on these quote unquote heroic quests to like bring her trophies to like show her how awesome he is. Like there's, there's so much of of that kind of aspect of it that it's, it's really kind of, it's really kind of (laughs) icky. It is really icky. And like the saddest thing too, is like, she's trying so hard to avoid it. And like, she, Mm -hmm. She very obviously voices her disgust with that, too. I think that's what makes it even more upsetting is that, like, she very obviously voices her, like, hey, you violated my consent, like, 100%. Mm-hmm. And, like, but, and then Lear, but like I said, is the saddest one, though, because in that song, when she starts talking about, like, oh, I'm a woman now, so this is what's expected of me, it's like she's finally giving in. And that's what makes it even worse, because she's thought this yeah. whole movie is this, like, beautiful creature who says, fuck you, I cannot be contained. And then once she transforms into a woman, she just, like, loses that spirit. And that's such a sad message about, like, how women, especially, like, beautiful women are regarded in society. Yeah. Because, like, there's her body, and then there's Molly Gru's body that's just, like, right. completely... Her hair is messy, she's barefoot, she's always doing the cooking and the cleaning, and she basically talks about how, like, she's lived a very hard life following, like, a troop of bandits and, like being put through all the shit they're on like their third day of eating the same rat stew yes it says thick as sweat (laughs) which is a repulsive image i will say it really is but yeah i you know i wanted to go back a little bit to to molly because her scene like you you brought this up but her scene where she's like crying about finally seeing the unicorn now that she's you know she is this kind of been through the ringer person Mm -hmm. it's it's such a it's such a comment on like that kind of where is this magic where is this thing that i was promised that never came yeah and so because of that this is the life i've had to live because i've been so addicted to that that feeling of of finding that and then Mm -hmm. never getting it this is sort of like it's i dreamed a dream ended up from yeah. Lincoln. Yes! Like, oh my god! Absolutely! Holy shit! You're right. <laughs> it's basically like, yeah, I thought things were gonna be great. Uh, I'm sleeping in a coffin. Not awesome. <laughs> so rats do for the third day. Yeah, exactly. From the same I'm rat. This. I'm hanging out with a pretty mopey Alan Arkin for a lot of this movie. So oh. <laughs> I don't like his character at all. No, his character is not great, and it's also weird to me watching now, like as. With adult eyes, like I was like, why would I enjoy this character like, as a kid? Like, it's like again, he's supposed to be kind of the comic relief because mm-hmm. he's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying. But um, he also is like just Alan Arkin's delivery is just very like, all right, I'm going to do this now. Like it's his normal, <laughs> not deadpan, but just like very like I'm just very natural and not really going to express too much. Like, and there you go, now you're a person. All right, like oh, uh, it's just very odd. Like these choices or like having Mia Farrow 
who's a great actress and but is also has like just like a sad incredibly sad like voice and all of her deliveries like really like depressing because she's going through depressing stuff it's just weird to like kind of be like yeah how did this resonate and being like yeah all right i feel like it was just like eh, i mean there's monsters and weirdness so i guess i'll watch for that and the sweet music of america the sweet music of america <laughs> Also, we haven't talked about the most important part of this movie, and it is the peg-legged pirate cat. Oh, my God. My second favorite part of this movie, after the the queer skeleton. Like, everyone talks in riddles, which is hysterical, and this cat just, like, comes plopping by. Like, no explanation about the talking cat with the peg leg and the eye patch. And And not just a talking cat, but he's, like, he's a pirate cat. He, like, talks in, like, a pirate rogue. rogue, Yes, and he's, like, oh, yes, pets me there, purr, purr. Like, not purr, it's, like, purr, purr. Purr, And it's the fucking creepiest thing I've ever heard, Um, and I love it. Like, it is such a random moment of that movie. Like, oh, by the way, there's a pirate cat that really has nothing to do with the plot at all, but I'm, I'm glad it's there. (laughs) <laughs> I wrote down one of his lines of dialogue is, I'd be a cat and no cat anywhere ever gave anyone a straight answer. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. But I just love his character and is like, there's so many characters I feel like in this movie that pop in real quick and go, it's, like, yeah. it's, it's similar to Lord of the Rings, where these characters pop in really quick and go away. And those are my favorite parts. Like, But they're more interesting than any of the other characters, in my opinion. I... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> other they're than more okay, pleasing, than the or rather, they're least. They're not. They usually don't come around. Like, by the way, my life is terrible. All right, I'm out. <laughs> they're fun. Like, like, hey, yeah, I'm, that's Robin, what it is. I'm Robin Hood adjacent, or yes. hey, I'm a creepy ass fortune teller who like causes like casts right. glimmers on sick animals to make or you like, think. Yeah, or I'm like a, a drunk skeleton likes to dish on gossip in the t- in the palace. Like, all right, but they're like, ah, no, we got to go back to our uh, horrible lives. I want so. one of those. I want a gossiping, like, <laughs> alcoholic skeleton hanging out by Who my door. doesn't really? Who really doesn't? Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of depressing, we haven't oh. really talked about Haggard. Oh, yeah. Him. Christopher Lee. I love him. So, did you, I don't know if you all read like, any of the like, trivia stuff or any of the behind the scenes um, about it, but just like he did with Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings, he was. Uh, a huge fan of the book and he was adamant about like certain sections have to be in there in the script he oh. was like you cannot remove this this needs to be in there for like his character like not talking about the story overall just like if i'm doing oh, this okay. this character needs to do this this and this he also recorded had recording sessions with the original book writer uh peter beagle oh cool and he would then be like, if Beagle didn't like, he would be like afterwards, like, did you like that? Because if you don't, then we're scrapping and I'm going to do it however you think it should be done. Like, he was like such a devotee, like, just like he was with wow. like uh, Tolkien, like later and or, you know, on Jackson's set as well. And it's like this fascinating thing where he was like all about it. And like he knew like all had like all these notes and he showed up with like a dog eared copy and being like, oh, yes, oh, wow. all this stuff. That is so I, cool. There's just, he's such a oddly like fascinating man and then like five to ten years when we get a biopic about him and like his life where he lived like he played like these giant characters but he's also a nazi spy hunter in real life and he recorded a heavy metal album and he like (laughs) all like it's just such a weird and fascinating thing and he brings it all to like this kids movie about unicorns you're like what is it's just i don't know it's super impressive to me it is super (laughs) impressive he is so good at like taking really becoming the roles that he plays even if it's like the voice yeah. of an animated king 
But he he really does. Um, I'm not sure how to word this, but like the way he, I I used to be so scared of Haggard when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I used to obviously I was like he's the villain, he's the bad guy. But this time watching it, I felt a little bit like I pitied him a little bit more. I think I think I felt bad for him more than I well, ever had the, before. He's kind of the personification of like depression. Yeah. Because like he's he's trying to find things that make him happy, right. and he makes a comment like, "I will keep nothing near me that does not make me happy," because he's trying to desperately get past this deep seated depression. But I also think, going back to to uh, Christopher Lee's performance, I love this that 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 line that he, he just that I just quoted mm-hmm. because he also is like, "I will keep nothing near me that does not make me happy." I also have one magician. So it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's like this kind of deadpan, like yeah. afterside of like, I also, well, I, yeah, then there's this magician part. It, <laughs> it, it just made me really laugh that like, you know, he's, yeah. But like, he really is this depressing, like the epitome of depression. And he lashes out with this red bull to like make himself happy. Yeah. It's that switch from, you know, yeah. Rage turned inward, suddenly mm-hmm. expressing itself on something else, and yeah, and yeah, exuding control, which is again that whole theme. Yeah, and I agree. I, he was he's much more intimidating watching as a kid, and I was definitely always, you know, uh, fearful of him. But like in this one, you know, uh, like Mary Beth, I, I also thought there is definitely a sadness to him, but there's also a sense that like he knows kind of who he is. Yeah. Whereas no one like Schmendrick is like, uh, I'm not a great magician, but I I'm helping people out. And you're like, no, you are not. Or, um, you know, Lear basically you know, is like, oh, I'm the hero of this. And you're like, nope, this isn't your story. And but like Haggard kind of is like, yeah, things are bad. And I'm I'm you know, I'm about I'm part of a world that's gone by and I'm trying to hold on to that. And it's all I'm doing is like making that world disappear faster. And it's just weird. Yeah, it's like a weird, like the self awareness that you don't usually see again in movies like this, where like mm-hmm. the person is like, "I'm very aware that I'm the antagonist here, but that my like mm. my my grasping at happiness is more important than anything else." So sorry, which again makes this movie feel so much more real when you watch it as an adult, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, this is really like hitting me in some like in the feelings that I never thought like as a kid." It's like you know, it's like it's a lot like those movies, like Disney movies do that now, but even more. It's like the pretty, it's pretty and visually stunning for the kids, and then the mm-hmm. themes are for the adults. Like mm-hmm. this isn't even like visually pleasing for kids. I don't think like it, going off of that, like it definitely true. You know, like yeah, I mean, and I I don't mean that as a slight. It's just it like you said, it's that kind of like people look monstrous in this even like the yeah. normal people it's not like a disney-fied everything is is bright and cheery and yeah there's never yeah. any of that moment where there's right? any mm-hmm. like happiness around it or like a quick cut or anything like that like the closest you get is like montages but even those are like the takes are longer they're held and they're usually like a slow like walking through a fort or like walking through the halls or something like that and so you're like it's very much like steady and staying with it so it's not like a peppy or something that's trying to bring in like trying to like keep attention of like younger viewers. So basically, like, yeah. Okay, if you don't watch it, eh, all right. Maybe it's not for you. <laughs> I, think I love this movie so much as a kid. The more I'm thinking about it, like I ju- I obsessed over it. I just thought it was the best thing ever. And I'm like, I'm trying to remember what was so appealing about it, and I I don't even know because there's no way I understood it. There's no way. Right. But it was just like. I- Maybe it's the empathy, though. Maybe it's yeah. You're like, maybe. maybe you're you're a very empathetic person. So 
it attached you because you were saying like, I'm watching a movie where I know something bad's happening. I'm not exactly sure what, but I know something's not great. And I know this person that I love unicorns and this unicorn that I am watching is not having a good time of it. Yeah. And seems quite unhappy at the end along with everyone else. So perhaps there's an element where you're like, you were like, that's why you kind of care about it. And also as a kid, you're like, you know, you have that, um, it's a cliche. And Ryan B. was like, maybe this time it'll work out. Like, ah, no, not again. Yeah. But there's a sense of like, I need to watch this to understand like, why does she feel bad? And why do I care about her feeling bad? So maybe that's it. I don't yeah, know. that might be it. I think that's part of it. I also know that when I was a kid, I had like a crazy wild imagination and I wanted to be, and I think that was the world that I wanted to be a part mm-hmm. of, even though it was horrendous. I think it was like, part of me was really into those kinds of worlds that were like a little sure. bit creepy, but like also really fantastical. Um, I'd like to blame being a kid of divorce on that, but who knows if that's actually true, <laughs> if that's actually <laughs> true. But yeah, that was a movie that I think definitely sparked my love for fantasy. Because um, I remember watching it. I remember watching it before my parents got divorced, and they got divorced when I was four. So like, this is probably oh, one wow. of the first movies I remember ever even watching. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It stays with you, and yeah, it really does. And it's also it's. A movie, like, a lot of fantasy movies, like, obviously fantasy is escape, hence the term, right? Yeah. But, like, mm-hmm. also, like, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, I mean, every hero's journey movie in a fantasy, and this is always about, like, the person escaping their lives, too, which is always this weird, like, so it's, like, it's a double layer. It's like, yeah. It's an escape within an escape. Huh. Cue the exhibit meme, <laughs> and we're all set. <laughs> I will say the one thing that that did kind of bother me because it felt a little Disney-fied was the mm-hmm. ending. Um, oh, okay. I mean, that's... Lear comes back to life. Like, yeah. any of the stakes are just immediately gotten rid of. <laughs> yeah. And then for some reason, Molly and... And Schmendrick Schmendrick are off to go, like, live together. Like, it, it's it's such a a weird, happy ending for them. They had to make up for the, like, hour and a half of depression. Like, oh, but it's cool. Like it, like the the, the very like thinly veiled appearance of happiness. Well, it, and it is thinly veiled because again, mm-hmm. the last thing we we we're left with is I regret I'm not like the others anymore. I regret because I'm still partially mortal. Yeah, like yeah, but it's just like I was like, oh wow, Prince died. Oh no, he's he's back to life. <laughs> yeah, okay. That was like my reaction watching this movie, to be honest. No, I can see that. And especially... Although I did like, I liked his line earlier where, where he's, he's like complaining about not getting any attention from her. And he's like, she looked at me and I was sorry for killing a dragon. That line like made me laugh. <laughs> Amazing. He's like, I finally understood why. Yeah. And Jeff Bridges is, this time is like one of his earlier like roles. Like it's the same year as Tron. Right. So. Oh, um, Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. And then he's also the one that brought in Jimmy Webb to write the music. He's like, he was just God friends. damn it, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Jeff Bridges is like, hey, I got a cool friend. <laughs> Jimmy, uh, quick aside for everyone. Sorry, yes, but so I didn't really know who Jimmy Webb was for like a long time. But like, I kind of as I grew up, got into music, and I was like, oh okay, he's a songwriter. He's kind of known. And then one of my friends from college um, grew up with Jimmy Webb and his family. Like he grew up with Jimmy Webb's uh, sons. Oh. And so I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that's random. I was like, yeah. And my favorite anecdote, I was always like, oh, is he, like, odd or eccentric? You know, because he was, like, a big eh, singer-songwriter and, like, the, or 
uh, songwriter in the sixties and seventies. Like, was he? Is he just weird? He's like, no. He's like, just like your normal dad. It's like, but he always like wore a robe. Like, he wear a robe often. Like, oh, that's not that weird. It's like, the robe said uh, the robe was made after working with Cher, and it was Cher kept calling him <laughs> Captain Icewater, and so the, oh my god. <laughs> So the bathroom has Captain Ice Water written like on like the lapel. <laughs> oh was, my like, god! That's amazing. And then I was like, and then I was like, what album was that? And then I looked it up. and I was like, oh yeah, it's a failed album from like 1970 that no one, um, that's like never been reissued. I don't think it's available electronically. It was like one of a, it's a huge disaster. So, but I just love the idea and I was like, just uh, he's like, yeah, that's right. Call me Captain Ice Water. I'll make a robe out of it. Wow. Anyways, enjoy the song about. Everything dying, children. <laughs> <laughs> children. Um, Terry, do we want to give this a rating out of five? Yeah. Cool. So, how many big titty trees <laughs> out of five do you give the last unicorn? Um. So. <laughs> Don't go breaking is... my heart. <laughs> <laughs> this is okay. I think this is a movie. I think I. I appreciate more than I enjoy. Okay. Does okay. that make sense? No, I do. Yeah. That does make sense. I do get that. Because, like, I have loved this conversation, and I've loved what we've what we've talked about. I love the themes that this movie explores. Um, I love this idea that, like... I, and I was thinking about this as we were just talking um, a little bit ago. There's, there's a line where she, when she's human and she's in the castle, she's like, I'm always dreaming even when I'm awake. And I feel like... I feel like this movie is sort of kind of hinting at the human condition is basically depression because like every human being in this movie has some sport sort of like trauma that is like basically bringing them down mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. one way or another. And you have this immortal unicorn that until the moment when she becomes human, like she's never really questioned. She's like, Oh, I can't be the last one, but I'm like, you're the only one that's here. So did you not, you know, think that there was maybe not others? Like she doesn't have any kind of yeah. concept of, yeah. of any of that kind of like, I, I guess regret in some ways, but like it. it so I, I think that, I think that it, it is touching on some really heady themes. And I think that it's definitely a lot more mature than most. I, I can understand why I would not have watched this as a kid because I would have been, I, it would have been way over my head and nothing would have really like really connected with me. But I, I think I can appreciate it as an adult. I just, I just think it's, it's kind of boring. I'm sad to say, but like, I, I think, I think I would give it three, three big titty trees okay. uh -huh. out of, out of, out of five <laughs> because I think that what it's, what it's setting out to do is very admirable and interesting. I just, Fuck the America band. <laughs> I think it's so boring. That's that's it. Yeah. What about you, Mary Beth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well. It's one for you, right? Yeah, Just one. one. Just one. Half. Um, okay. No, I'm going to give this five big titty trees yeah. out of five. <laughs> um, unsurprising. I, I th And it's, again, like, this is a very much like my own nostalgia and personal love for this movie. Um I can definitely see what you mean. Like, it is slow. It isn't, like, super exciting. It is definitely not really made for kids in terms of its pacing. But I think that I've always been a sad bitch. And I think that <laughs> melancholy of that movie really, like, 
spoke to me mm-hmm. as a kid, I think. Mm-hmm. The more I'm thinking about it, the more I think I like that melancholy rather than like the saccharine sweetness of mm-hmm. um and what I'm saying was I was a depressed four year old, which is sad. But <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie even now is just so beautiful and upsetting and sad, but done in such a in such a way that I can't stop I can't stop loving it and want to watch it over and over again. Hmm. You know, I think that if you cut out like the song montages, I probably would be closer to a five. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I get that. I understand that. It is weird because, like you said, it's not quite a musical, but it's like not quite a music video. Like, I, and it's when a I was weird. When I was skipping through the beginning, like I first five minutes is a song. Like the first five minutes yeah. of this movie, when they yes. go through the credits, yes. is a song. Yes, you lost unicorn. Just looking for people. <laughs> it's establishing the situation. Come on, it's like the con- yeah. It's like the info dump with that fucking butterfly at the beginning. That's the worst part oh of the whole God. movie. Oh, That's God. the worst part that of the butterfly. whole movie. Um, I'll be honest. When when, I, when that first part's first out happening, I was like, I am not going to make this movie. I know. Oh, when, I, is... when I first started watching it, I'm like, oh, I can oh, yeah. see why Terry didn't make it through. I couldn't make it because I was like, the beginning is really like that part is bad. Like I don't yeah. know why they thought that that was the the section to start with. Everyone's stoned. What can I say in the seventies? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, this was 80, but, like, still. <laughs> Close enough. They started. They recorded it before, yeah. <laughs> With a weird anachronistic butterfly that just constantly changed. It's the weirdest thing. And then it's like, and again, it's, it's this episodic thing where it's like, hi, I'm a character. I'm not like any other character. And I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. And you'll never <laughs> see me again. Even exactly. though I seem, I'm really important for about five seconds. Yeah. I somehow divert your path slightly, but won't be remarked about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Rob, how many big titty trees out of five do you give the last unicorn? Uh, I would give it uh, four big titty trees overall. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's something I do agree uh, with Terry that it's something that's much more, I think it's much more appealing to talk about and to think on afterwards um, and dissect. And like, there's definitely scenes to like point out or pull out and images. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, it can be hard to like actually experience or sit through it um, at some points. But it's still just a fascinating thing. It's just weird. Like, also, it's it's weird that like these were like the first like they didn't do celebrity voices in animated movies. Like that was everyone mm. blames like Aladdin and Lion King. It's like, well, actually, it was Rankin Bass and they had this and Orson <laughs> Bean oh, in yeah. the <laughs> Hobbit movies or whatever. And so it was just weird. It was like, oh, that's must have been weird. And just everything about this movie seems like why, why, like who was like, yeah. <laughs> This is going to go great, like every element of it, but it works together. And it's not like in a car crash kind of way, but it's just a matter of like, like you're going to have like a super sad story told using like combining kind of two different styles of uh, illustration visuals. And you have like the, you know, the European folklore type uh, style along with the anime style or anime studio style. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the music of uh, Jimmy Webb. <laughs> Performed by the guys from Ventura Highway and Horse with No Name, which I feel like that's probably why the guy's like, I don't know, who else writes about horses? Like, I got him. <laughs> who else like, writes they about horses? The market. <laughs> they cornered the market it's like, on it's horses. Like, it's either them or Patty Smith. So, <laughs> like, she's not returning our call. So, yeah, it's just it's a weird thing. And, and it's also, it's an odd thing because also, because like the uh, actors they chose, like, like nowadays, when they'll choose like an actor, like oh, like oh, I know that actor. I like like oh, Nicolas Cage, whatever. That'd be great to listen to. Like no kid is ever like Alan Arkin. <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me up for Alan Arkin <laughs> and Angela Lansbury. 
Oh, the comedic stylings of Robert Klein. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee, yes, I'll allow that, yeah. But yeah, I think yeah, it's a I think it's an immensely entertaining and very intelligent film that's definitely haunted me for so many years and it's just weird to kind of like place all these things and kind of look back on it, you know, as yeah. Mary Beth was doing and just being like, why? What's I like <laughs> this movie? Why does this come together? And then why was I like, yeah, this is something I can get into. <laughs> and also where was everyone else? Like I was a child. Why was no one else be like, Hey, this thing you're watching bit of a downer. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, I feel like someone should have stepped in at some point. Yeah. My family was like, didn't like, like I watched it with my family and they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, right. Really? <laughs> None of y'all were like, Ooh. Yeah, when you look back on it, you're like, no one thought, like, they're like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I feel like everyone was just like, let's just not talk because we'll probably end up having to talk about the tits. So if we don't talk at all about it, then we don't have to talk about you the boobs. don't have to talk about the tits. <laughs> Phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rob, for joining us to talk about The Last Unicorn. Uh, where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, uh, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at uh, Neurotic Monkey. Um, and I also, again, I write for yeah, Daily Grindhouse and Bullseye. Uh, I have some reviews coming up. Um, I don't know, uh, various things. You'll find me here and there. Sometimes with making dumb videos for Twitter when I have insomnia. That's always fun. Hell yeah. Um, but that's about, yeah, that's about it, I think. Awesome. So, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with The Last Unicorn? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And, of course, keep the conversation going by chatting with the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Bronald for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.